How's it, everybody? Welcome back for season three. We've had a bit of a break, but happy to be back here in studio with my good buddy, Ronnie. There's a bit of a change to the intro, too. Yeah, there's a bit of a change to the intro. You're still going to be joining us weekly every Wednesday. Ronnie and I will be bringing you the latest on the international season. Is it every Wednesday? It is every Wednesday. Mostly. I know you're not good at keeping a calendar, but yeah, it is every Wednesday. Okay, fair enough. So we're in the future now, or are we in the past? Both, simultaneously. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's been about a month since we last were on the show and had a chat about what was going there. The URC had just finished. Been quite a lot of developments in the rugby world since then, eh, Ronald? A lot of things that happened and a lot of things that didn't happen. For Johnny sure. Sexton there. So some of you guys would have seen on the socials, Ronnie and I, we were down in Bloemfontein this weekend. It was really fun. I told Ronnie to run and I just watched to see how long I could keep an eye on him for. It's so flat there. Yeah, he had to call me back because after 24 <laughs> hours of running straight. <laughs> you mean after 40 minutes, the lungs just gave out, eh? Yeah, let's say uh, I can run 40 minutes. <laughs> but yeah, we had a lack of time down there in Bloom. We took your guys' recommendations. We went to the famous Bruin still. Pleasantly surprised, eh? Pleasantly surprised since we've been there before. Yeah, we had actually been there before. We just didn't know it. But yeah, best burgers we've ever had, I think, both of us. Agreed, had the same burger twice, so the jalapeno bomb. Excellent. Yeah, I had that bacon halloumi and avo burger, also top notch. And the lychee radlers. The lychee radlers. I was a man, I was drinking like a zamalek there. I don't need to prove anything to anyone, so I had a nice lychee radler, which was delicious. <laughs> and uh, I could have many of those because they were just that good. You guys must let us know if Ronnie's allowed to drink that drink because it did come with a little umbrella in it. It didn't come with an umbrella in it. It, come with a, it came with ice cubes. <laughs> well, I think that says all we need to know about that, eh, Ronald? Yeah, okay, fine. But yeah, good morning there. We kicked off. We were at, what's it called? Bossa or Bosa? We Bosa. Watched, we watched the Super Rugby final. Then we went through to the Budamark. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Am I, Ronald? Yeah, let's just say you sound like a SOTI though. That's okay, because I am one. And then we got a phone call from my buddy Liam. He was also down in Blum telling us it's filling up at the stadium at about half past one already. Mm-hmm. So we shot off there and flipped lacquer afternoon, good rugby. Yeah, we parked just other side of Kloppers and found our way to the stadium in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it really was a breeze. I think much different to when we were there for the Bok game. It was chaos. Excellent experience. I don't know if it's because there were, I don't know, 10,000 people less there, but I thought it was an excellent experience. We got beer really quickly. We got a second round of beer really quickly. The toilets were from, you know, close and wasn't much of a queue, at least for the men. Yeah, I thought it was way better. I think the stadium's capacity was about 33,000 people there. So much better to handle. It was easy to get dope, easy to get to the bathroom, like Ronnie says. I think the Springbok, it was a sellout stadium, and they just couldn't cope with those numbers. I mean, they ran out of beer before kickoff. Is that what happened last time? Yeah. Unacceptable. We can't be having that now, can we? So, Ronnie, then should we kick off about the Curry Cup? Yeah. Kick off. So, guys, obviously, everyone knows by now the Cheetahs, they're the Curry Cup winners. They brought it home in front of their home fans. title. Seventh title. Yeah, well, seventh title. Harvey's Furry's now got a Varsity Cup title and a Curry Cup title. Mm. Moving up the ranks. Next one's one in the URC, eh? Oof. Okay. But Cheetahs, 25-17 Pumas. Yeah. Pretty close game. It was a good game, I thought. A little bit sad for the Pumas. I was supporting the Pumas. But, you know, they can't win them all. Yeah, Ronnie was there. Unfortunately, you didn't manage to get a Pumas jersey at the stadium. I know you were looking forward to it. Yeah, that. they didn't sell them. I was a little bit surprised. I mean, it's a small union. What do you expect? Yeah, for those that tuned into my live feed there at the stadium, 
all the Sharks fans, I do apologize for being a trader for the day and donning the, the orange bucket hat of the Cheetahs. That you did. You looked very handsome in your orange bucket hat. Oh, thanks, Ronald. So yeah, we had a really good time there. Like Ronnie says, it was a lacquer game. Ruan Pinar, what a boy. I think a couple of episodes ago, season two, I had mentioned that Ruan Pinar should potentially be coming to the box. You actually did, Ronnie, and that's frightening because now I share that sentiment. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have Ruan there over Alton. Ruan's really class three try-saving tackles he made in front of us. And he's signed for another year with the Cheetahs. Yeah. So he's, he's match fit. I was very impressed by his performance. Tinas De Beer on the other side of him. Yeah, yeah, also good. Yeah, also solid. And he looks to be signing for the Cardiff in the URC next year, going over to Wales. Ooh, all right. So he's going up north. He's going to go play in the URC, I assume. Hopefully he can do something in Wales there. So let's just quickly talk about what went down in that stadium, Ronnie. It was what went down? quite a time. Well, firstly, the bloody airlink plane almost went down. <laughs> yeah, that airlink plane came very close to clipping the top of that North <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> that plane came out of nowhere. We didn't even hear it coming, I think, because of all the Harleys that were revving in the stadium. Yeah, okay, but they actually did kick off, and then a second or two later, that airplane came over. If I was under that high ball with that airlink coming over... I would have dropped it. Yeah, if Franz Stein had been playing, it would have smashed the pilot's window, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. So that was a surprise. And then it got underway. The game, a lot of it played right in front of us. We were sitting opposite the grandstand. My genius self, I booked us tickets that were perfectly aligned with where the sun could cut through the two stands and right <laughs> into our eyes. Okay, but fortunately, it, 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 it hit, hit away behind the, the eastern stand or the western stand not too long after. So... At least when it got to kick off, we only spent 30 seconds. So I redeemed myself there. Yeah, you got very close. <laughs> yeah, you got very close. Fair enough. But yeah, Ronnie, what do you make of this whole situation where we've seen the Pumas, who are sponsored by Airlink, not being flown around? I mean, seeing them on the bus back from Durban after the semi-final, it's a bit of a hectic, hectic way for the team to get around the country. Well, I was also a little bit surprised when we do... Possibly need to fact check ourselves here, but yes, they've been spending a lot of time on the buses instead of sitting in their sponsored, uh, their sponsor, their main sponsors aircrafts. So yeah, yeah, that was definitely a shock for me. Look, it, it adds to it though when you go on school trips and you take the bus down to Joburg or wherever you go, and uh, a lot of chaos and it's a lot of fun, but it's hectic after losing or after winning, even being sore, being tired. And, uh, and then having to sit on a bus for eight hours back or even longer. Yeah, it's definitely hectic. And I mean, one thing we definitely saw being at the stadiums this weekend is the budget differences between the bigger unions and these guys. Because you go to a Sharks game, there's people giving out flags everywhere and promo this and promo that. We were there at the Curry Cup final. It was quite difficult to get your hands on anything from the Pumas, and there was very limited Cheetahs merch being pushed as well, none of it being given away. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And well, say there's limited Cheetah merch being given away, but that which was being given away was all the same. Bucket hats, and that's about it. Yeah, so I mean, you can definitely see the finances. SA Rugby needs to put a little bit more money into these unions, help them build a little bit more. Talking about money, Jimmy Stonehouse has come out and said, you know, He's getting ready to rebuild the Pumas again because obviously it's a raiding frenzy at the end of every season. We mm -hmm. just said Tinas De Beer is leaving. You know, a number of their players will be snapped up after their performances this year. Money talks. Money does talk for sure. Yeah, and look, it's very difficult to, to go up against the unions with their big budgets. Uh, but look, 
just to get to the final was a feat in itself. So well done to the Pumas. Yeah, definitely. And two great teams to see in the final. I think it meant a lot to them and a lot to their fans. Deprived of competition, it was really important. Yeah, well, I know we said 33,000 people there, almost 34,000, but it sounded like there were 60,000 people in the stadium. Well, yeah. And those cheetahs, those fans were incredibly proud of their team, incredibly happy that they were in the final. They celebrated every point at the top of their lungs and keep it. some of the people sitting behind us, they could really scream, eh? Yeah, some of the ladies in Bloom really are screamers. That girl behind you was shouting her lungs out for the team. Yeah, absolutely. Not letting, not letting the opportunity go to waste. Yeah, that was, that was something to see. And then obviously you've got the, the silly guys in the stand. There was one guy who kept throwing ice at the police lady. But there was a book von Black lookalike with his big beard that told him, what, put him what, in, his, yeah. in his place. Don't right? be that a doers, be lacquer. He did That's, say that. That was awesome to see. Everyone can remember that rule ahead of the Loftus test as well. Don't be a doer, be lacquer. But Ronnie, how was that end of the game? So I did put some footage up on, on Puntit, on the socials. But the poor guy comes on there with his microphone and he's like, everybody, <laughs> forgot about there that. are dangerous pyrotechnics on this field. Please do not enter the field until the ceremony is finished. You will be arrested. And like 400 <laughs> oaks just hopped the fence from every angle. The poor security had no chance. Yeah, at one point it was just children, 10-year-olds, yeah, 8-year-olds. Even little ones that field. were probably walking only a week ago. <laughs> Deeper. So yeah, it turned, yeah, whatever they had planned there went yeah. out the window quickly. All the security just went and stood around the fireworks to make sure no one touched them and that they didn't <laughs> go off. No, people were not staying in their seats. No, that was that great game. to see. And then a lot of people getting tackled and whatnot. But it was such a festive occasion that I don't think anybody got arrested. I don't think so either. I think guys were just truly celebrating their side's win. But on that note, Ronnie, I've seen a lot of guys on, on our socials commenting, you know, the Curry Cup's a dead competition. What is your assessment having been at the final? There was, there was, we did allude to that, I think, a couple of months ago, that the Curry Cup is the new Vodacom Cup, but I wouldn't say it's dead. You know, if you just, if you like us, our team wasn't in the final, just go down as a neutral to watch the Curry Cup final and, and enjoy it. It's, it can, it's very festive. It's very lacquer. There's a lot of friendly people enjoying their, their time watching the game and supporting their teams. And, you know, it was competitive. Regardless of who was playing, it, it was competitive. Yeah, I think my opinion on the Curry Cup has changed after being in Bloom this weekend. I think we got a first-hand account of how much it really mattered to the fans to have that competition, to have their team in a final. Yeah. And 33,834 people in the stadium that's more than the guys are getting for the English Premiership. So That's a good point. Yeah. Make. Yeah. They're only getting 20,000, 25,000 in the Premiership games. But yeah, look, if you go to a Curry Cup game, don't base your opinion on a Curry Cup during a, a round-robin fixture between the Bulls and the Lions and Loftus and, and with 4,000 people there. Go to some one, of the, one or two of the big games. Go to a semi-final, go to a final, and you'll see that people feel very, very passionate. I'm sure next year, though, Bulls versus Griffins will be a very well-attended match. Well, that's if the Griffins make it, right? Aren't they going to go up against the Cavaliers for promotion relegation? I believe it's a two-year stint, though. You Is it go a two, two years, years without relegation. So, Bulls, watch out. You might lose to the Griffins again. <laughs> don't forget that they did, Ronnie. Yeah, I don't know if, if everybody just remembers this, but the Griffins got a win, and it was against the Bulls. Yeah, it was indeed. There we have it. But yeah, I think Curry Cup has its place in South African rugby. It's a lack of competition to test out a lot of our young talent and a little bit more money. And it's really a competition. 
that means a lot to some of these unions. Yeah, and you just have to look. I mean, it's the Cheetahs and it's the Pumas that made it to the final. There's no Province. Province did exceptionally well in the URC or the Stormers. They didn't even make the playoffs in the Curry Cup. So it's still very competitive. And yeah, you can say you can say whatever you want, but those bigger unions have huge budgets in comparison to the little unions. So little unions are still the Davids and they beat the Goliaths. Absolutely. And then now looking at the Challenge Cup, we see that there's two spots available for the Challenge Cup. Harvey's for you today saying, you know, he really hopes the Cheetahs are going to get invited again as one of the invitational sides. Mm. Not really sure who else would be in consideration for that. Maybe another Italian team. Maybe the Pumas are going to throw their hats in the ring. That would be cool to see. I think uh, the Pumas could could surprise a lot of us. You can't take a bus to Europe, though, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good joke. Sometimes you're quite funny. Thanks, Ronald. Yes, you're such a nice guy. We should take a month's break more often. So then we go over, Ronnie, a bit of Super Rugby. As we said, we sat there having breakfast, watching this game. Crusaders 25, Chiefs 20. Should we say it's to be expected by now? Yeah, I agree. It should be as expected. Look, the Chiefs did exceptionally well. They went undefeated for a number of games in a row. They slipped up once or twice, but they still had a great record to, to on their way to the final. But you don't discount the Crusaders in, in any final game. No, absolutely. I mean, Chiefs only lost one game during the regular season mm. and were in brilliant form leading up to the final. But Crusaders, seventh straight title for them and Coach Robertson. All of them, 2017 to date. They've won every single one. So you're playing Drummond at nine, Richie Monga at 10. You've got Razor as, as the coach. I mean, that team's not going to lose. No, that... That, I mean, what a vibe for them. The Crusaders, as I was saying, goodbye to a number of legends from their team as well. But massive, massive win for them. Seventh title, that's really saying something. I think we do need to see La Rochelle versus Crusaders in a one-off. That would be pretty cool. We should definitely have, we should have more exhibition matches played, like a North versus South Barbarians team. That needs to be more of a thing. And, uh, and like you say, North versus South uh, World Cup of, of what, are, what, are, what do you call domestic teams? Yeah, that would be really epic. So then, I mean, it was a very tight game. It was only 15-10 at halftime. Crusaders definitely could have been much further ahead. The Chiefs had really shocking discipline. They played with 14 men for 30 minutes of the game. They had three yellow cards. It was first to Anton Leonard Brown for a high hit, then Luke Jacobson. And right when the game was in the balance, coming to the end, Captain Sam Kane also sinned. Yeah, El Capitan Sam Kane. Oh, I, I really, look, I think that's, that's a topic we're going to have to unpack in the week, weeks to come. All Black Selection, you know, it seems like they've stuck with Sam Kane in the mix there, but is he really the choice flanker? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, uh, something like that really cost the side, and do you want that repeated on the international stage? But then Cody Taylor... You know, he's veteran now of the game in New Zealand. He scored a try that put them in front. It was his 42nd try, Ronnie, and he's now the most... He's the forward in Super Rugby that scored the most tries. Okay, yeah, but the rules did change over recent years where the hookers, you know, you can't swim at the back anymore. The hooker's the last to join the mall, and he's going to get the ball and score the try. So within reason, but still, well done. Yeah, 42 tries is a lot for a hooker, so well done, Cody. Shout out there. You wish that rule was in place when you played rugby. I didn't need it. I scored 43 (laughs) tries. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a lacquer one. You know, something I've seen a lot of on Twitter is referee Ben O'Keefe getting threatened. They bashed him, They are going hard at him for his performance in this game, basically saying it was him that ensured the Crusaders won. Look. I kind of like this and, you know, put a little asterisk there. It's not that I liked it at all, but 
it's nice to see there's not just South Africans that are harsh. Well, that's what I commented on Twitter this morning. I was like, hey, New Zealand, what's up? It's not just us that complain about the race. Because yeah, like, like, they are going vault yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, well, that's wild for the English uh, listeners. Yeah, it's just said with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's right to threaten anybody, social media, in person, anything like that. Yes, you can have your views, but I think it's important that they stick with the values of the game expressed politely obviously everyone can be frustrated if they feel that that's incident that went down but yeah guys no need to threaten a referee ever so super super brew do we have a superest of brews yeah we've got a superest of brew and as i always do i start in third place then second then first so in third place jeff walters he's a crusader supporter he came third in our big pool He's got a great profile picture. I find it hilarious. If what is his profile picture? It's a picture of him standing in front of a billboard looking like he's holding a, a beam, a steel beam. It's a lot funnier if you see it yourself. <laughs> so, Jeff Walters, third place. In second place, we've got Scott. And, yeah, he's Scott Vandenberg. He's neutral like Switzerland from South Africa. He's in second place. And, and uh, in first place, we've got Tiffy. Tiffy, 88. Tiffy88, he made 105.75 points to, to be our superest of brews. He's a Hurricane supporter. He's also a premium member like you, Nick. One of the cheaters, I would suppose. And he's a South African dude, but supports the Hurricane for some reason. Yeah, Lacquer, our superest of brews there. Well done. It's Lacquer to have you guys all jamming on Super Brew. We're closing in on 1,000 participants for the Rugby Championship pool. So, guys... Don't forget to join us there. The pool is Lima Ores, L-I-M-A-O-R-E-S. Or you can just search for the Rugby Punted in the Superbrew app. Okay, but before we move on, let's just talk about where you finish in Superbrew. Sixth. 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 Where did you finish? Fifth. (laughs) (laughs) What utter nonsense, Rob. Okay, well, tell us really, where did you finish? Fine. I came 187th. Well, I came seventh. 197. 7th. 007. 007. Yes, guys. What is wrong? That's a good couple of hundred of us that let this clown get ahead of us. Yeah, six people have to beat for the next season. But 7th. 7th, Ronnie. High five. Yeah, guys, you don't understand how much pain I suffer when Ronnie comes in the top 10 of any competition or gets a medal. Which is most of the time, because I'm actually pretty excellent. I'm pretty sure this is the first punted pool you've topped. Well, yeah. So, guys, let's make sure that doesn't happen in the Rugby Championship. Then, Ronnie, a quick look at the under-20s. That kicked off in Cape Town this weekend. So, first up there, we had Argentina, 43, Italy, 15. Good win for the baby Los Pumas there. A little bit surprising. I thought Italy was a little bit better than they did. But you always forget that under-20 team changes a lot because, you know, they have to be under-20. It's true. Then, a surprising result for me, England versus Ireland, 34-all draw. Yeah, only 1% picked that. And then a huge scoreline, Ronnie. We had France take on Japan. France got a 75-12 win in that game. That was an impressive outing from the French. Yeah, bloody hell. They've really done something there in France. Their structures are well in place. They probably don't need as many foreigners in their ranks anymore. They, you know, for an under-20 team, that's amazing. For sure. And then we had a very tight fixture between Wales and New Zealand. Wales really pushing the, the baby All Blacks there. 26-27, New Zealand coming out winners. Mm, well done. Then over to Battle of the Pacific. Australia versus Fiji. Okay. Is that right, Ronald? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. There we go. 
Australia coming out 46-37 victors there. So that's a good one for the Aussies. And then the last fixture on Saturday night saw the Baby Box play host to Georgia. Also a very tough fixture. Some good performances there though. And the Box coming out 33-23 victors. I see the Baby Box fly half. Mr. Smith, Smith is Franku Smith's son. So that's quite cool. Yeah, let's hope that he's the next best thing after our current spate of uh, unfortunate lack of depth at uh, Flauf. Yeah, so that's really good to see. But now I think the reason we're all here, or at least Ronnie and I are here, the international rugby season. Yeah, the reason we cut happening. our break. The reason we cut our break is because, well, the fun stuff's starting now. The fun stuff is truly starting now. It's one week away from Test Week. It is lacquer. The box have been training here in Pretoria. They're gearing up to take on the Aussies. But I think the beginning is the best place to start, Ronnie. Should we take a dive into the 42-man squad that's been assembled? 42 bloody men. Let's see. Right. In the front row, we've got a prop. Thomas the Tank de Toy. Stephen Flum Kitsoff. <laughs> Franz, you cannot move me, Malherba. <laughs> and Oxen Chair. Did you come up with that? I did. On the spot now. Can oh, you believe that? Well done. So that rounds out the front row. No surprises there, really, for me. Trevor? Trevor, still in the mix, sure. But yeah, look, no surprises. Then we go over to Hooker. Also, three guys everyone, I guess, knew would be selected. Joseph Dweba, Malcolm up the middle, Marks, and Bongi Mbunambi. <laughs> Funny, yeah. I think some of the some of the hookers in South Africa can, uh, can feel a little bit uh, aggrieved. But yeah, it's, look, it's, those are the three that we thought were going to be chosen. And they were. Jan Grobelaar, probably in the mix there on the outsides. Uh, and even some calls for Akker after the Prem. Yeah, look, Akker, I've always liked uh, the angry warthog. But yeah, look, uh, well, we knew this was coming. And then over to the locks, you know, the initial squad that was assembled. There's Lurt Diacha, Eben Etzebeth, Marvin Ori, Archia Sneeman. And then Jean Klein was added in with a little asterisk. He's now being cleared under Regulation 8 to turn out for the box. So Jonathan Lang, one of our listeners, you wrote to us, we got it wrong in the last episode. Yeah. So firstly, let's apologize that yeah, we didn't really know too much about John Klein. We said he should probably play for whoever picks him. And then Jonathan wrote in and said, he's, he's got caps for Ireland already. Five caps. Yeah. So we are unaware of that. We so. apologize. And then we retract our apology and say, yeah, look, you know, he's coming to the spring box now. So lacquer. There we go. Yeah. So good to see he's been cleared in terms of regulation eight. Really lacquer to see him there. Then we go to the loose forwards. This is always, I think, the most competitive. I'm quite surprised with some of the selections here. I think if you're born in South Africa and you become a loose forward, it's going to be a tough time for you. Taking on three quarters of South African rugby players. 100%. So here we've got Peter Steph de Toy, Sia Khaleesi, Ivan Ruiz, Kwaka Smith, Marku Eskom van Staden, and Dwayne Thor for Mullen. I was quite surprised to see Ivan Ruiz there over Ulrich Lowe. Yeah, sure. I agree with you, although Evan Rose is, is, a, is a promising young player. And yeah, he's going to learn a lot. Yeah, I think it's maybe there's been a change in favorites there because Ulrich was a huge part of the Bach team last year. You know, with Dwayne unavailable, he did play a number of games. And Evan Rose looks to be in favor now. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So showing maybe to everyone that the Bach coaches are not dead set in their way, like many like to think. Yeah, but still they are, right? I mean, once you once you make it into the mix, you're very fortunate because you're probably going to get reselected over and over again. But yes, there is an outside chance of you still making it. No, for sure. So that's very competitive. Marku van Staden makes a return. He wasn't part of the team last year. 
but obviously he came back to the Bulls from Leicester and doing enough to earn himself a call-up. Dwayne, I like Dwayne, but is his position secure? Can you just imagine being from another country and looking at a team sheet and like, Okay, yeah. 60 minutes against Jasper, who's going to moor me. And then Dwayne Vermeulen's coming on for another 20. Oh, yeah, no, that sucks. It's, an, it's a brilliant position to be in as, as, a, as a box supporter, as a box fan, right? Because Dwayne can walk into starting lineup of most teams internationally, I believe. I mean, man of the match in the World Cup final. Yeah, that, not everyone can do that. So, Ronnie, then we take a look at Scrum Half. I mean... Who's not here? Yeah, so we have all 17 scrum offs. Yeah, all 17 of them. Fafta Klerk, Jaden Hendrickson, Herschel Yankees, Kurbus Ranak, and a call-up for Grant Williams. Good, good. He's been in the mix. He's been in a couple of training squads, but yeah, good to see him. I like Grant Williams. I really do. Yeah, he's pace, eh? Yeah, he injects a lot of lot of speed into the attack. So yeah, good to see him there. I hope he gets a shot. So I think, you you know, you're looking here, only three probably going to the World Cup. So a lot needs to be done over the coming weeks. So, so who's your three that you, if you had to choose? Face value for me, Faf, Jaden, Kubas, Reinach. Jaden, we haven't really had an update on his injury situation yet. Grant Williams, definitely deserving a call, but might only join in for the next World Cup cycle. Herschel Yankees, World Cup winner. Herschel Yankees, I think Herschel Yankees has to go, right? Because of the fact that he's been there before. Obviously, Faf, right? Because he's going to check the poiki from a distance. And then... Jaden Hendrickson. It's going to be interesting to see how they deployed throughout the rugby championship. Kubis Rana for me does deserve some starting time. He's been a squad member for quite a while. And, you know, in France for Montpellier, he really is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. So then over to utility forwards, we have Dion Fury and Franco Mostert. Sos. Yeah, Sos. I'm a big fan of Sos. I don't consider him a utility forward. I consider him a lock. Yeah, I also consider him a lock. I think I've ranted about that quite a bit on this podcast. Yeah, I got all in my ear. Great to see Dion Ferry there as well. You know, he'll be covering hooker as well as loose forward, which will be Laka, also very deserving of a position in that team. He's had a stellar two years for the Stormers. Agreed. Then Flyhoff, we have Marnie Lubbock, Damien Willemser, Andre Pollard. Pollard and Willemser carrying a little bit of injury. So Alton return Yankees this year. Alton's back. Yeah, let's let's see. Look, I agree with what they say. I mean, Elton's been in the mix so long. He he knows he knows the drill. He knows how they train. He knows what's expected. He knows the game plans. So, look, it's not the worst thing to fall back on. Although we have some reliability issues with him, but yeah, look, let's hope that Marnie and Andre can step it up because I also don't think that Willems is a fly off. I think Willems is fantastic in the in the back three or as a utility back. Possibly as our first choice fullback, but yeah. It's yeah, not a fly half. I think we both agree on that. But then, Ronnie, the fact that we or you told me about on the drive down to Bloom, which absolutely blew my mind. So Alton Yankees is playing in the Pro D2 in France for Agen, and his halfback partner at Wait Scrum Half <laughs> absolutely blew my mind. It's not December. It's not February. It's Ricky Bloody January. Can you believe Still he is playing. jamming there at nine for a gen? Still playing. I thought he was retired. I thought he, I thought he owned a petrol station somewhere and made lots of money somewhere in the Cape or something. But he's, he's been jamming rugby for the last decade over in France. That guy could literally do anything and he'll always be a legend in this country. All right. So caught up to the spring box. Yeah. He's in. <laughs> Give it to him. Do it, Rossi. <laughs> do something crazy. So yeah, that's the 9-10 combination for a gen, which was really 
something that caught me off guard. He's like 40 years old. Yeah. Unbelievable. Eh? It's amazing. So anybody that didn't, just go and do a bit of a Google search on Ricky January and you, you'll realize that the man's been playing rugby for, for I don't know, since he won the Tri-Nations for us. Yeah, in 2009. He went straight from Dunedin to, to France and became a legend. Yeah, absolutely. Then over to the centers, you've got the Lucanio Am, Damien Dialende combo. They're joined there by Jesse Creel. Yeah, so that's interesting. We spoke about it in the car on the way down to, to Bloemfontein. Potentially Andre Pollard starting at 12 and what I thought about that. I thought it was maybe an unnecessary move. But yeah, maybe Andre Pollard could also be considered a center now. I think it's unfortunate for old Andre. I like Andre Estazen a lot. And yeah, he's been unlucky. Outside backs then, we go for Kirtley Aronser, Vili LaRue, Makazolo Mapimpi, Kane and Moody. Well stocked in the back there with a lot of well pace to stocked. burn. There's a lot of, lot of excitement in there. And of course, Cheslin. And Cheslin Colby, sure. But a lot of excitement. And then even if you just, like we said, throw Damien Willemsen in the mix there. It's a lot of exciting players. No, without a doubt. So looking at this squad, Ronnie, there's a couple of players missing out here. Let's first talk Apalele Fassi. Seems to be completely out of favor now. He's definitely not going to be going to the World Cup. Another World Cup winner that's gone out of the Springbok sites is Warwick Gelant. Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for Warwick. But but look, if you've got, we just mentioned, we rattled off all those names in the back three there. It's a tough ask to get in the mix when those guys are around. One thing I'm happy is it looks like the conversation around Johan Gersen has gone quiet. <laughs> You're not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. So glad that that conversation has gone quiet. Still upset Marcel Kutsia not in the reckoning. Yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. I also feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah, Marcel's another player that's, you know, just born in a conveyor belt of Springbok loose forwards. Yeah, born too late. And then the biggest heartbreak of them all, Ronnie, and something I hope still changes ahead of the World Cup. The stain removal. France stain. He's not in the squad, hasn't yet recovered, even begun rehab for his hamstring injury. France, we need you in France, man. Yeah, France, eh? we need you in France. No, sure. And look, regardless, even if he's not match fit, take him along. Let him be the baggage, the fines master, the official fines master and, and Geersbringer. We have to have this man there. He's got to be the, the guy that's won the most World Cups. Yeah, he, has, he needs yeah. a third medal. He sure. needs a third medal. We need you, France. So hopefully you can recover soon. But yeah, it's, it's been a crazy time in international rugby, hey, Ronnie? See, Jonathan Kaplan was in with the box over the weekend. I like that. I like Jonathan Kaplan there. Although I still would have liked Walshman, what's his name? Nigel Owens. Yeah, Nigel would have been an excellent addition to the box. But great to see them keeping up to date with the laws, getting some consults in there. And the Welsh retiring spree. Mm. It's, for me, it's, it's quite something to go through all that effort and then to retire in a World Cup year and make yourself unavailable for selection. Yeah, it's very, very hectic. A number of guys, I mean, Reese Webb, he's played for the Welsh for so long, never played a World Cup. Yeah. Unbelievable. And he, he never played in a World Cup. Never played in a World Cup. That's, that's sacrilege. That's, that's unfortunate. But look, agree. Alan Wynne-Jones played 300 test caps and just can't crack it in, in, in the last year, so then retires. I wonder if there's not more to the story, and I suspect there is more to the story. A little bit of a protest perhaps going on with that Welsh Rugby Union, but yeah, we don't, we don't know. Well, we yeah, do, we, we don't know. know. We don't, we're not privy to the details behind the scene. I mean, there's obviously some backroom stuff going on. You know about the players' strike during the Six Nations and all of that. But yeah, it's seeming to have a, a big influence on the squad for the World Cup. A lot of players retiring, so Gats is going to have to look at some of the youngsters. 
we can bring up and they're really going to have to use this I think more as a building phase than true contenders for the title. Then Ronnie, Pacific Nations and the use of Regulation 8, I think that's something we'll talk about a lot more next week, but these Pacific Nations teams are loaded, guys. Yeah, their pool of death is without a shadow of a doubt Pool B. Yeah. Right? And that's because of, so we've already had, we had Scotland, we had Ireland, we had South Africa, we had three of the top five teams in Pool B, right? I think Scotland's yeah. fifth, so that would make three of the top five teams right there. But then Tonga goes along and just loads up with players that have you know applied their trade for other teams all blacks yeah i suppose australia too so they have a team that makes me it makes me sweat yeah because now it's not just size and pain it's actually quite a number of skillful players joining their ranks as well and it's really going to make for a tough time for romania and opal that's (laughs) yeah romania you are going to remain there look let's Let's just talk about what, what it's going to take for South Africa to win the World Cup, right? So they're going to have to beat Tonga. They're going to have to beat Ireland. They're going to have to beat Scotland. They're going to make sure there's no Brighton Miracle 2.0 with Romania, you know? Then they're going to have to face a quarterfinal of either, most likely, New Zealand or France. Then it's the semis. And the, I mean, that is a gargantuan task to, to undertake. So I'm, I'm nervous. Yeah, it's, it's really having an impact on that. You know, regulation aid is what we used for Jean Klein as well. But we'll really dissect that a little bit next week. Who's going where? Give you guys a bit of an update on that. But Ronnie, what do you make of the box split squad system? So rumors surfacing now that guys like Lucanio Um will be playing in Pretoria. Dialende will be over in, in New Zealand. Splitting them up like that, giving them a bit of game time. Doesn't surprise me, to be honest with you. We've done it before. We lost against Argentina. We lost against Australia. And then all of a sudden we beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. We went on to win the World Cup. And that's because we sent over half our team. They were there a week before everyone else. They got acclimatized. They, they were fresh when the rest of the team arrived. And they hit the ground running. And then we beat the All Blacks. And, and I think that was a mindset change. You know, We suddenly believed. And it said in a number of documentaries that at moment we believed that we were capable of winning the World Cup. Yeah, and I think this is also a really great way to build depth, test out some combinations. It's focusing on the bigger picture, let the main thing be the main thing, and and giving the boys their opportunities. Because with a 42-man squad, 10 or so of those guys have been cut. So everyone's got to get their chance. You've got to make everyone feel like they've got a fair shot at impressing the coaches. And that's exactly what this is going to achieve. Yeah, and there's a bit of uh, team management right you don't want to overplay certain players so if you can give another player an opportunity to gain experience in that position in those difficult games a whole means i think it's a master stroke it's it's a it's a rusty move right i mean For sure we, we know jacques the coach and he's doing wonderful work but this is one of those high level strategic plans that i'm sure both that i think russ narber came up with you know yeah no it's it's a very very smart system it can work very very well and I mean, we know how deep they go into these players' stats. They know everything for the number of minutes they've spent on an aeroplane to minutes on the training field, minutes on the playing field. And I think a lot of that travel factor will also come in into who is sent to New Zealand, who is not, you know, managing that load even as well. And look, every game matters now because we've just spoken about Tonga. We've just spoken about the team, that Tongan team that is, that is on fire. And you're going to have to save where you can and gain experience where you can for as many players as you can because Tonga is not going to be easy. Yep, and you never know what's going to happen with injuries. So rather have guys prepped than have them missing out. 
Oh, but, that's why our squad is a lot bigger than the other teams. I mean, Australia put out a 33-man squad yeah. or whatever it was, and we've got we started off with 40. We had 41 with an asterisk. Then we got 41. Then we got 42. So look, so I think planning accordingly. No, for sure. Just to take, obviously, we're playing the Wallabies at Loftus next weekend. That is a sold-out game. Ronnie and I will be there, though. We're really looking forward to it. But Eddie Jones coming out naming his first squad, naming co-captains in James Slipper, Van Toffel, and Michael Hooper, co-captains. This is something he got from Aussie Rules. He was spending time with some coaches there. We know Matt told us how much Eddie likes learning from other sports, other codes. And he's brought that in. From Rugby League, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw that. That's look, that's good because look, both Slipper have had Slipper's had his off field uh, issues and uh, Michael Hooper as well, right? So he came out a couple of months ago, said he had some some things to get right in terms of his mental health and whatnot. So I think it takes a load off both of them and it gives them the freedom to, to really be the leaders that that to be, you know, uh, leaders according to their strengths. So. Yeah, I mean, Slipper's right behind Gregan for most caps in the Wallaby team. I think he's got more than 130 already, so that's a wealth of experience coming in there. But more interesting is Eddie Jones coming out and saying, you know, Michael Hooper's this guy. He's an 80-minute player. He's backing him. And I think that casts quite a bit of competition into the loose trio there for Fraser McWright. He was favoured last year by Dave Rennie, and that's really heating up the competition between him and Hooper. Yeah, Fraser's a great player too, for sure. But yeah, look, I, I trust Hooper. You know, he was a bit of a cup marker in the early days, but I think it's one of those one of those players that sort of leveled out and became calmer once you gave him the, the position of captain. And I, I trust him. I wouldn't mind him being my captain in my club rugby team. Yeah, no, I think Eddie's done the right thing there, especially since it's his first year with the squad. Two leaders, well-known to the team, wealth of experience. I think that sets them in a good position ahead of the World Cup. Then, Ronnie, on to the Johnny Sexton incident. So, Johnny, for those of you that don't know, was issued a warning letter by the EPCR for his conduct in the final of the Heineken Cup when his side lost to La Rochelle. They have given him an opportunity to respond and then further action will follow or it will be stopped. That remains to be seen. But it's quite disappointing that this is taking so long from World Rugby. It is because... It, it raises a number of questions and issues, right? So at what point do you punish the player? Do you punish them retroactively? Does it start from when the transgression occurred? Or does it, does it kick off when the punishment is dished out? What that means is, is he going to be punished for a bunch of free weekends? Or is he going to be punished when the Irish teams are wanting to do the, play their warm-up matches or potentially impact on one or two of the World Cup matches? So when does that punishment come into effect? How large is that punishment going to be? Are they going to be lenient because it's a World Cup year? Are they going to be lenient because they'll be dragging their feet? I just, I don't know. You know, Ronnie, I think it casts quite into the spotlight this situation of why is it so secretive, the disciplinary process? I think you'd appease a lot more fans and have a lot more understanding and patience if you just clued people in as to what the process was. Look, it comes down as to simply when you're watching a game, you're standing in the stands and your player gets a, a card, he gets sent off the field, you are so pissed off because it's your player, he's been sent off and you have no idea why. If you watch that same game and you watch the trans- transgression on TV, on live TV, the commentators and the referees explain what's, what's happening and so you tend to accept it more just purely by knowing why. 
exactly. you can disagree with it, but at least you have an understanding as to why. Otherwise, you stand in the crowd there and you scream your hands up. Yeah, and I think that's what we have here. We don't know what the, what the rationale is behind it. And it's just taking a lot of time. And I think some people are going to be hurt when he gets a six-week punishment because six weeks of it was served uh, retrospectively. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't get the secrecy around this. We have spoken about that numerous times. It is really silly. But then, Ronnie, as we're coming to the end of the episode, maybe this is time for me to say, thank goodness, Derek Liefling Hochart, out of his coma. Great to hear that news. Wanted to stand up? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So very, very great news to hear that, guys. Thoughts still go out to the family. I know it's been a very hectic and stressful time. But great to hear that he's he's on the mend now. Yeah, look after your health. And look, also, shout out to Steve Biko, right? Yeah. He went to Steve Biko Hospital. And, you know, I've also, I knew someone that went to Steve Biko and they were exceptional there. So I know people have complained about them. And this is not saying anything. But yeah, Steve Biko, well, bloody. Yeah, for sure. Leaflin. So, Ronnie, this season, you know, season one, we did Ronnie's two cents. Where we all had to bear through you complaining like you always do. Season two, we had the fan topics, guys writing in. This season, we're introducing the May Fokjom confessions. So guys, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your rugby confessions. Anything that's going to make Ronnie and me go May Fokjom. Write at us. It doesn't matter if it was on the field, off the field, as a fan, as a player. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear it. We want to have a laugh. We want to share it with everybody. Because as we've said before, this show is all about the listeners. We really enjoy interacting with you guys. And if you ride into us, you've got some killer merch that we'll send your way. <laughs> okay. So, Ronnie, we have one for this week. Tell us. Are you ready for this? Okay. So, this one comes from Aiden. He gave me a confession here from his playing days. So, he says, I was playing loosehead prop in high school, and we were playing against Otaniqua from the Cape. Their tight head was pretty big. It was about 120 kgs, 1,9 meters tall. Before the game, coach is telling us, you know, this is the guy we have to watch out for. Key member of their team. They give him a lot of ball. And then as we're warming up, my forwards coach comes to me, pulls me aside. He gives me a special tip. So he says, you know, at the first scrum, I shake his hand, be overly nice to him, telling him to scrum well and whatnot. And then when we pack down, I should kiss him on the cheek and wish him good luck for the game, which I did. The player had zero effect on the game after that, and we won the game 36-12. Oh, no. So, May Fokchom, that must have been one hell of a kiss. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> well done. Yeah, so that's a good way. That's the kind of thing we're looking for, guys. So, please do write in. Ronnie and I really enjoy reading it. Even if we don't get to it all, we read everyone. We try to respond to everybody. So, please, guys, reach out. And then lastly, don't forget, you can join our Super Brew Pool for the Rugby Championship. We did mention it earlier, but the pool code is Lima Ores. Use it in a sentence. Not again. So that's L-I-M-A-O-R-E-S. Or you can just search Rugby Punted on Super Brew and our various pools will pop up there. And that's a wrap, guys. And girls, if you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it all, light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.